Well, greetings. Greetings and welcome to the show. This is Wrong A Place, A Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Sean Riley Simmons. Now, I had a great time talking with Sean. She's a very interesting woman, has done some fun things. I think you're going to enjoy hearing what she has to talk about, not just her uh, mystery series, which uh, involves a chef with a catering company that services uh, theatrical groups and movie productions, uh, but also some of the other jobs she had that are pretty cool. So we'll talk to Sean in just a few moments, but uh, first I need to let you know that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. And so uh, without any further ado, uh, let's jump right into this interview with Sean Riley Simmons. Well, hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Your Red Carpet Catering Mystery Series uh, has seven books in it. And uh, when I checked the publication dates, number one came out in 2016. Number seven came out in 2019. So that's mm-hmm. seven books in about three, I guess, four years if we're being inclusive. Uh, that's a pretty good clip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They had me on a very fast uh, contract for a while. And that for some, they really wanted to do sort of like a rapid release, I guess, about every six to eight months, they wanted a new book to come out. So yeah, I had to get, I had to get real good with time management and getting up and making sure every word counted. And it was a, it was a good exercise to get those, uh, to get those written. But the early morning was the, the golden time because, you know, my, it's, you, so I feel like I start out with like a battery charge hundred percent. And then by lunchtime, it's about 75%. And then my motivation wears down towards the end of the day. And it's like, Oh, now it's time for a cocktail and I can't do anything. So <laughs> yeah, if I get it over with in the morning, either exercise or writing or editing or whatever the thing is that needs to be accomplished, that that's the for me that works the best cool um i do yeah. want to talk about this penelope sutherland uh series but a couple interesting things i came across uh in your bio i, I wanted to touch on first uh one is uh, that you have a, a ba in english from university of maryland mm-hmm. and so two things about that one is hey i took classes at university of maryland when i was in the military they they service the soldiers there remotely so so wow. we're schoolmates and, Yay. <laughs> and, <chirps. laughs> well, and more interesting to the people listening probably is uh, that BA in English. How has that, because that's, that would seem to me to be one of the most useful and most useless like degrees <laughs> at the same time. And I don't mean that, that to be insulting at all, but like, there's so much you could do with it in some ways, but then, you know, I mean, it's one of those degrees that people kind of make fun of sometimes is as not necessarily translating into a, a job, but looking at the rest of your jobs, that doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause um, when I was going to school, I was like, you know, that was always the passion was to be a writer ever since I was a little kid. And it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll just go and be an English major. My mom was an English major and she was a teacher and an English teacher. And I knew I didn't want to do that because um, I love children, but I don't love them all the time, every single day, other people's children <laughs> teaching them. And I don't have, I didn't have the patience level at that at that age, I knew teaching wasn't going to be my thing. Perfect job for that degree. <laughs> yes, it is in some ways, in a lot of ways. I think more like, you know, stress manager, management would be a good, you know, <laughs> major wife, for teaching. My wife's a it's teacher, hard. so I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of stuff, you know. But then, so yeah, and it's like, okay, I'm graduated with an English degree. 
I'll go open an English store. Like, yeah, it's not like always applicable. But then I felt like to like, you know, business and things. But then I always feel like it really helped me in every every career I've had because I was a salesperson starting off. That was my first career at did marketing and sales and really being able to communicate effectively is what marketing is. And you wrote radio commercials. Is that the job yeah. you're talking about? So yeah, you're, no, you're but, using yeah. English in that, I imagine. Everything. Yeah. Every, you know, you're writing letters to your, your boss asking for things and you're going to get them because it's worded well. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so being, yeah. I think being, a, you know, in, in control of, you know, the English language is a very powerful tool and it can be used in a lot of different ways. But yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, writing radio commercials is uh, a skill because it's, you know, you have to um, get people interested in buying carpet in 30 seconds, you know, in different ways each time, you know, so that's, you know, that's the, that's the challenge, but it does, um, every kind of different writing that you do, I think strengthens every other kind that you do. So yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun gig. That's a really good point before you move on. I, that, I don't want to breeze past it. Every kind of writing you do strengthens every other kind of writing. Uh, What do you mean by that exactly? Well, um, I just think it's any kind of parameter that you set for yourself for your writing. Like if you're writing a 30 second spot, for example, you know, it's basically going to be about 800 words or so, whatever that word count is. So you have to make your point, be persuasive, convince someone to call to action within those, that number of words. And then when you go, it's like cross training at the gym. So then you go to like, maybe I'm going to write a short story that's 5,000 words, but you've learned that economy of words in the, in the smaller work that you were doing. And it, and it really kind of reminds you like, do I need to say all these words? I could probably be more effective if I just said one word instead of five here. So that's what I think. I always think of it like cross training. Yeah. It's a good analogy. I think it's an apt yeah. one. Um, and we're going to talk about short stories uh, since you brought brought them up, but I want to continue with your job background because it's I think it's interesting. You, you d- did some the sales for radio commercials. You uh, organized a mystery convention. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you at liberty to say which one that was? Yeah, actually, I still do it, and this, I was just working on that this morning before we got on this call. Um, I'm on the board of uh, Malice Domestic, mm-hmm. which is the traditional mystery writing conference that happens every spring in the DC area. The last two years, it's going to be virtual because of the you know pandemic. But normally we gather and it's about 700 people that come every year. And I'm in charge of, I'm one of the people that gets it organized every year. We celebrate the traditional mystery and we give out the Agatha Christie Award. So we honor, honor Agatha Christie. So books that are typified by her uh, style of writing is what we have traditionally welcomed and the authors that write those kinds of books come and we have, it's a fan-based convention so there, you don't go there to um, go to a panel about how to get an agent or how to get published mm-hmm. or those kinds of things it's really just for fans to come and meet the authors and talk about books and we have a great time so now this year that was a bit different because we're doing a virtual con- festival it's, it's totally different structure we're, we're calling it more than malice for this year we're inviting people from all parts of the genre to come and see what we're all about. So it's, we're calling it more than malice because it's not your, your regular malice. Mm-hmm. So we're having people like Sean Cosby is coming and Sarah Paretsky will be there. Although Sarah, we love Sarah and some different mm-hmm. names that you wouldn't necessarily see at a regular malice. So we're really not, trying not to open exactly our doors. Cozy writers. <laughs> exactly. So we're having like an open house this year, mm-hmm. like here, come and hang out with us. We're going to have a great time. Um, David Baldacci is coming. So we're, we're having a lot of, it's really cool. We're very excited about it. And that's happening in July. Well, uh, also on your list were a couple of dream jobs for many. Uh, you managed a large bookstore and sold fine wine. And so a bookstore question for you. 
But a lot of people who love to read say, oh, working in the bookstore would be my dream job. I often wonder, having not worked in a bookstore, if that's true or if the reality of it is a little different. (laughs) It's true and not true at the same time. Well, I've worked in a lot of bookstores. I've worked um, at least in four or five different ones smaller ones and then the, most of the chains I've worked in at, at one point or another since college go, moving on to um, the one I managed was actually Borders, which is now not a, around mm-hmm. anymore. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. So be, but being around books all day, I think for and people that love books and reading is just it's just a joy. You're just going to have you're going to find the fun there. And it is really cool to have people coming into your store that are book lovers as well. That's why they're there or they're buying a book for someone that is. And you can kind of get to chatting about them about, you know, what they like or be, you know, hand selling like recommendations and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that part of it is really, really awesome. Managing anything in retail is a, is a challenge. <laughs> you know, it's just like <laughs> one of those jobs where like, Oh, really? Again, someone's calling in sick. You know, you got to show up. You, someone can't close. You got to go close. You're the boss. You got to do it. You know? Right. So that, that part of it is not um, ideal if you like your life to be the way you want it to be. <laughs> so, and Borders was open late. They stayed open yeah. till like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, Oh my yeah. God, this place, you know, I got to go to bed. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you ha- if you own your own store, I think it'd be really fun, probably because you control your life more. Mm-hmm. But it's also a lot more risk involved because you know it's your store and you need mm-hmm. to make a profit and things like that. And bookstores have been hit so hard the last year or so. I just I love bookstores. I would you know if I had a million dollars, I would just give it all you know to bookstores to keep them going and because it's just a happy, fun, comforting place for a lot of people to go. And that's why I love that's the part I loved about it the most and the coffee. And the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing everyone that's been a bookseller will tell you, and it's the funniest thing that happens. It happens to you about once a week. Somebody will walk into the store and say, hey, I heard about this book. Um, I'm not sure what it's about or who wrote it or anything, but it was on this obscure bestseller list and I think it has a blue cover can you help me find it and you're like um okay so then you like walk around with this person for 20 minutes listening to their life story while you try to find this random book that nobody knows what it is they're talking about and then you're all, you're solving a puzzle everybody's like solving a mystery where's this book where can I find it <laughs> well uh we kind of have to move on to your books uh here if we want to get to them and I certainly do but uh real quickly I imagine selling wine, uh, you could tell pretty much the same story on the positives and negatives of that. Yeah, selling wine is is a lot of fun. I would highly recommend it. The only downside of that is you sample a lot of your wares with your customers because that's the part of the job. You sit there and drink wine with them and you're like, I need to, I need to dry out, you know, <laughs> so I need a sober <laughs> couple of days, you know, like, do I really need to go to this meeting, you know, because you're, they had us in like at seven in the morning tasting wines at the, where I work, because that's when your palate is fresh. Talk about starting things in the morning, fresh yeah. palate. That's what I loved. Um, I would go to restaurants and um, just uh, consult on wine lists and oh, wow. obviously try to try to sell them our, the brands that I was representing, but us, we represented about 400 different um labels and wineries oh, so that's a lot but the, the cool part of it is i live in a semi-small town in, in western maryland kind of like it's about 45 minutes from baltimore and dc there was a point there when i walked into any restaurant in town and i was like sean's here hey sean like you're everyone's best friend you have free wine in your bag all the time you know <laughs> so everyone loves seeing me so i was like sean's got wine she's coming in and i never had to pay for a thing and that was wonderful so let's talk about short stories really quick before we talk about penelope you uh mentioned off air that you have uh, been invited to submit a story based on your uh, wine background. Yeah, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised. My reputation precedes me as <laughs> being a, <laughs> a sophisticated wino. I guess um, there's a anthology coming out. I think I believe it's in July. It's called Murder by the Glass, 
and it's the second edition of this particular anthology. And I was invited by the editor to submit a story about wine. So I, I wrote one about a, a wine person that sells wine, a wine rep, believe it or not. <laughs> so write what you know. And um, she is um, sort of like accosted by one of her uh, clients who's a little, little handsy. And it turns out she can, she sort of uses that to her advantage when, um, when things uh, escalate. So yeah, it was, I, I was really proud of that story. I really like it. I can't wait to see it in print. And they loved it. So um, yeah, I got good feedback on it. And it was fun to write because I got to go back in my mind because I sold wine in the early 2000s. Like around, I remember I was in a, I was actually in a, in a bar when uh, 9-11 happened. I was um, working on a wine list with someone and we, yeah. So that's how long ago that was. And I did it for a few years. So it's been a while. So it was nice to like go back to the, how I felt just hustling, hustling wine all day. <laughs> But it was good money. It was a lot of fun, and the, hopefully the story repre- you know reflects my passion for that that job I had. Well, it's no surprise uh, that it was well received. Your short stories, uh, in general, have been pretty well received. In fact, uh, you are an Agatha winner for short stories, correct? I am surprised. Tell, tell, tell us very about surprised. This. That story I wrote that story for um, an anthology called it was the Malice Domestic Anthology called uh, Mystery Most Edible. That one. I wrote about two old friends who, and what you'll see that most of my stories have a culinary or wine. All I do is eat and drink apparently because all my stories are about food and wine. Everybody meet, eats and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to talk about it a lot. Um, so yeah. So yeah, two old friends meet and they have a disagreement over a, a bad review that was given to someone's restaurant. So <laughs> yeah. And then this year I'm nominated again. So that's uh, for a different, for a, the new England anthology. I'm nominated again this year for a different story. So I can't believe it. I'm still so shocked that anyone reads anything I write, much less nom- <laughs> nominates it for anything. That's just like, what is happening? Well, the so, yeah. folks that uh, took that first story obviously have pretty good taste because not only did that story win an Agatha, but, Agatha, but the anthology itself won an Anthony for, for best anthology. It did. Yeah. And I was that was another totally shocking, surprising thing. I was out um, at the park with my young son. He's practicing baseball. And my phone just started pinging, pinging, pinging. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, what is going on today? You know, I thought I was going to have a day off. And it was all these congratulations. You've been nominated. The anthology has been nominated. I'm like, oh, you have to be kidding me. I thought, I thought, okay, the Agatha, that was awesome. Okay, I'm done for the year. And then this happened. So, and uh, we got, we won. We won. And we were live um, during BatchaCon on TV. And that was really cool. And um, yeah, so it was, best, it was very surprising and uh, very moving to have all that happen out of the blue. Well, we went down the short story rabbit hole a little bit, um, and of course that is merited given the success that you've had with short stories recently, but we were talking about jobs before, and one of your jobs was you cooked on some catering crews, including those that, that catered to movie sets, which... Oddly enough, is the setting for uh, the Red Carpet <laughs> Catering Mystery Series. Penelope Sutherland is a chef for exactly that. Absolutely. Yes, that's what she does again. Write what you know. And uh, I just, <laughs> for some reason, I decided to write that. But when I, I did I did work on the a few sets. And my sister um, is a chef. And she graduated from Culinary Institute of America up in upstate New York. And her first job right out of school, they were like, what do you want to do? And she goes, well, I know I don't want to work on a a line in New York city and never get to be the top of anything. Cause you know, it was in the late nineties and it's still, still today, there's much fewer head chefs that are women as opposed to men. It's just a thing in the industry. So she said, I'll do theatrical catering, which is one of the you know things they help you get into when you graduate from that school. 
we were both had moved to New York City by the by that time, and I was working in an office for one of my marketing jobs. And she called me up and she goes, I'm cooking for Robert De Niro today. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. It was her first job. It was her first day on at work. <laughs> so she's work cooking for Harvey Keitel, uh, Robert De Niro, Kathy Morarty. She was working on the movie Copland, Sylvester Stallone. Oh, God, that's a great movie. Yeah. So that was her first gig. So she worked on that. And um, then she did a couple other things. And she met her husband, her first husband there. And then she went out to L.A. and did some movies. She worked on the first Scream movie. And um, she worked on a bunch of stuff. And then she came, She missed New York, so she came back. And then we both ended up maybe relocating back down to the D.C. area, which is where we, now we both live. We didn't do it on purpose. We didn't follow each other around. This is how it worked out. And um, she got a call from her old catering company because she hadn't been doing it for a while. She was doing personal training. And they said, hey, we need a couple of chefs for this movie that's filming in Georgetown, D.C., Baltimore. And she said, hey, well, my, I'm available. And my sister's between gigs right now, too. They're like, all right, come on down and try out. So we did. And we ended up working on a movie called The Invasion, which was not a wonderful movie, but it's still on TV once in a while, if you like around the ho- Halloween. But it was Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman, and it was a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. So I worked on that one full time. But the other ones, I would just pop in and be like her assistant and help her out. And But it was a lot of fun. It's a really unique catering experience because your day is about 15, 16, 17, 18 hours sometimes. Um, you're the first ones in, the last ones to go. And uh you know, a set could be 400 people coming through at once to eat and they go back to work. So it's like this getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, mass descending locusts come and then they leave and then you have to clean up and start making the next meal. You know, it's just, it's a very unique, it's not like a wedding where it kind of eases out through a couple hours. So getting into the finer points of catering, it can be, it's a lot. It's like lunchtime at school only times, you know, 400. So (laughs) that was fun. And you just, people are coming through with like weird makeup on and, you know, blood all over them and their hair all strange. And, um, or they're just, you know, producers coming through look like normal people. And then there's the, you know, carpenters that work on the set and the payroll people. So there's any manner of people that are coming through. It was just really cool and interesting. And it struck me that this is like a little city because we show up in a certain location. We build our sets. We stay here. We do our work. Then we break everything down and we leave. But within that city, there's all these people doing all these different jobs and interacting and, you know, bumping into each other. So when you think about the structure of a traditional mystery, it is sort of a small town setting mm-hmm. and a bunch of suspects and different people. And I've been involved with Malice for so long, and I thought, I want to write a mystery about catering because I I love it, and it, it's something that I'm you know familiar with. And also, that's a that's a niche in the, in the genre. There's this catering mysteries, and I loved Catherine Hall Page's books and people like that. But I said, I've never heard of someone doing a movie set, caterer, you know, or even a theater. And uh, so I said, okay, that'll be the thing I do. And I did. And I created Penelope and her uh, catering company, and it took off from there. And it was it was very well received, and you know that's and how that went. There's seven of them. They're obviously very well branded when the cover where the covers are concerned. They they are obviously part of the same series. They real sharp covers. Um, as you wrote that, you draw obviously drew heavily on your experiences as a caterer, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of not it was it's not a direct lift of things that I've seen. Obviously, I didn't see people getting murdered on the movie sets. That would be weird. No, they got yeah. murdered and it was like cut. Okay. Right. Get up off the ground, go eat something. Yeah, obviously it, it was based on stories that I um heard my sister tell, like living out in LA and things that I had seen working with her. Well, everyone I have... I've ever Good. met has been lovely. I've never had any bad bad celebrity experiences at all. So I sort of had to create those out of like, you know, fiction. 
Well, that's a good segue because my question was going to be, you. I haven't read these books, but I'm assuming you fictionalized who the movie stars and directors and uh, are right along with the Carpenters and the, and the techs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Never, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want Nicole Kidman coming after me. No, um, I hopefully, hopefully she would never do that. But, yeah, I, it's, they're, you know, based on people that you've seen and heard of. and But also, you don't know, just because I've cooked for someone for a few months, does I don't know them, you know? So you have to sort of create their personality in your mind and a mishmash because you don't, everyone is different. And it's funny because when I first started setting up the characters in the first book, I thought, okay, this person reminds me of Angelina Jolie, and this person reminds me of whoever. And then by the second, third, fourth book, they're not anything like anyone else. Right. Every book is a unique set. So that was the other thing that I thought was attractive because, you know, I didn't want to have the Cabot Cove syndrome where it's mm. like, oh, every time we open our door, the milkman's dead or whatever. So um, they move from city to city to city. Each book is different, different set, different kind of movie. It's a romance. It's a horror movie. It's a mm. thriller, whatever. So that's how I wanted to add variety and flavor to the um, book. So they weren't just the same thing over and over again. And I have my core set of characters, my main four or five characters. And then every single time they have a new boss and a new set, and just like you would as a caterer, you go sure. into a new situation each job. So that's how I liven it up. I believe it works. And one of my books, one of my main characters, Arlena, her father is a famous actor. He's kind of styled on, you know, the De Niro era, those kind of guys. And she's a new, she's an up and coming actress. And um, he has a lot of old friends in the industry. So they kind of come in and out and help and say things and show up and do bad things and <laughs> stuff. So I have two late, I have like celebrities of today and then the old school, you know, movie stars kind of things in there too. Now these are, these fall into the cozy uh, category of mystery. Um, would you say they're on the humorous end of that spectrum or a little bit more on the uh, serious end of the spectrum? They are more on the serious end. And it's so funny because um, my publisher did the covers and they are beautiful. They've done a wonderful job um, with all the editing and the, I mean, they've been great, but they, they have marketed it, they, you know, cause they're culinary mysteries. So that's what you're thinking. And I actually just finished a short story for another anthology I was invited to write for. Um, and they wanted to be real cozy and funny and stuff. <laughs> so I sent my story in and my, it's a good friend of mine who's doing the editing. She's like, Sean, you're hilarious in person, but you don't write funny. I'm like, I know. I am not funny. I try. I said, I always go dark. She's like, you're so dark. I'm like, I know what's wrong with me. You and me like, both. She goes, I can't. I, yeah, she's like, I can't stop. Yeah, when we're hanging out, I can't stop laughing. And then uh -huh. I read your stuff. I'm like, oh, you know. So yeah, I definitely know. I don't know why, but it doesn't translate to the page. So. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Katrina McPherson, but like she's funny in person and she writes funny. And that's, to me, that's awesome. Uh, I, you know, I, I remember I went to my first uh, left coast crime in Seattle back in 2007. And at the time I'd been really like, like you're talking about short stories. That was my main gig was writing short stories and they were very dark. And uh, some of the folks that I interacted with online uh, in that, you know, short mystery community, you get to meet them for the first time when you go to a conference like that. And I remember one, one woman telling me, wow, you're nothing like I expected. And I was like, Oh, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, like you're funny and like your stuff is so dark you know? <laughs> and so i know yeah. exactly what you mean i know exactly what you're talking about but that's good because you know you're able to stretch you're not just writing what comes out of your head because it, it is weird and I've, I've recognized that about myself um early on i'm like why am i not funny <laughs> why am i not funny on paper because i'd but, like know, to be <laughs> yeah well, i'm funny i promise i'm funny yeah. now katrina's hilarious she is so funny 
Um, mm-hmm. Before we go, I wanted to make sure to mention that uh, you have a podcast of your own. Yes. Oh, thanks for mentioning that. Um, we started one called Five Compelling Questions with Sean. So we basically, it's a short format. We just sit and chat for about 20 to 30 minutes. And just, I ask a series of five questions that normally turns into about 10 questions because we do follow up questions, <laughs> but we have a good time with it. It's just a real relaxed, you know, it's not, um, we're having, we're having fun with it. I like it's, it's been a good time. And then the cool thing about it is, as you probably have already know this, you know, cause I'm kind of new to the podcasting world as far as being one that does one. Um, I've been listening for a while. You get to know the author so much more than you thought you did. And it's just, it's, you know, just having a conversation with someone. It's really been fun. That's the fun part is getting to know them. Because every single time there's something like, oh my God, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> That's so cool, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And you feel good when you're able to push somebody else's very deserving material out there and hope, you know, somebody discovers them because they listen to your show and then they've got a new reader because of that interaction that you had. Your, your series has seven, seven books in it. Um, but you are working on something else, uh, right now. Uh, and I wanted to touch on that here before we go. Uh, yeah, I'm branching out. Um, I'm gonna, I have, I will continue my series. I think eventually, but it's on a bit of a hiatus right now. So in the meantime, when I have this extra, all this extra time that I have, which is just an inside <laughs> joke, I have I don't have any extra time. I'm writing a domestic suspense, and uh, it's still it's not finished yet. But I that's I just wanted to try something completely um, different and do a standalone, and I'm really happy with it. And uh, but in the in the meantime, I'm writing. I have several short stories that I've been requested to write this year too. And probably as you, it's so, as we were talking about off air, you're writing novels and short stories is a different discipline. And mm-hmm. it's just some, not everyone prefers to write both or they just really want to stick to one or the other, but I really like doing the both. I like doing the, uh, again, it's like the cross training. I like mm-hmm. um, exploring different ideas through the short stories. So I'll be writing a couple more of those that I know for sure do. And then um, some other ones, but yeah, just, I'm just always writing something and keeping going. But I mean, it is nice to kind of take a step away from the series for a little while and let it sit. And then I kind of want to go through it again and, and uh, continue it on later. Well, that series is the Red Carpet Catering Mystery Series, uh, which features mm-hmm. Penelope Sutherland. The author is Sean Riley Simmons. And I want to tell you, Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's been so fun. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, that is Sean Riley Simmons. I told you she was interesting, uh, has done some cool things, and uh, easy to listen to, very, very charismatic on the microphone. On the next episode of Wrong Place or Right Crime, we are going to talk with Carmen Jaramillo, who uh, is a grifter. Her episode, episode number 17 of A Grifter's Song, is Open Up Your Heart, and I had a a conversation with her about that uh, and a few other things. Now, if you want to find out what those are, then you'll have to tune in next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime with Carmen Jaramillo. I do have a piece of Zafiro news. Uh, On uh, the 31st of uh, March, um, I did reacquire the rights to uh, about 15 of my novels that were previously with Down and Out Books. Um, 11 of those uh, were just reissued uh, on the 19th of uh, April under uh, my in-house banner of Code 4 Press. Basically, I'm going uh, virtually 100% indie. That was a business decision that I made. And I'm really telling you about it here uh, for two reasons. One, uh, so you know uh, that those books are available. 
Uh, and secondly, because, uh, you know, it is a small community, this crime fiction world that we all reside in. Uh, and I wanted to be very clear that uh, this was a business decision that I made. And uh, when I approached Down Out Books and explained to them what I wanted to do, Eric Campbell, the uh, founder and, and uh, publisher, understood. And uh, so that was a very amicable uh, business arrangement that we made so that uh, we could both be satisfied with the uh, outcome. Uh, so I was treated very fairly by uh, Down Out Books. Uh, I treated them fairly and we remain on excellent terms. Obviously, they're still sponsoring the show, uh, still have a grifter song there. And I'm, I guess I'm sharing it here because in the publishing world, frequently author-publisher splits are acrimonious, um, even if the information doesn't get out there sometimes. But uh, And I've had a couple of those, uh, but I've been fortunate to, to part ways uh, also on good terms, and that's certainly the case here. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, curtail any thoughts that uh, there was uh, any kind of a bad blood or that I, I thought that Down Out Books was a bad publisher or anything like that. Uh, nothing of the sort. It just made the most sense for me to either be indie or to be with a publisher. And so I made the decision that I made. Uh, in addition to that, the Charlie 316 series is going to be reissued by my friend and co-author Colin Conway under his in-house brand, uh, Original Link Press. All right, so uh, that's that's about all that's going on in my world. Uh, got some other news coming up pretty quickly, but I'll save that for another episode. Uh, I do want to say thanks uh, to uh, Sean for coming on the show, Down Out Books for sponsoring the show, and of course, as always, you, the listener, for for taking the time to uh, listen to me talk to writers and, uh, and hopefully enjoy it. Uh, all right, next episode, Carmen Jaramillo. Uh, until then. This is Frank Zaffaro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.